someone else has already said it best. This is the best, the best of it. The best ones aren't as good as you probably think they are. What is best in life? I did the best I could. Doing my best. 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 changed altogether. He's changed from what he was. He's not the same as what he was at first. I don't even recognise him. No. <laughs> About a year ago, I saw him here in Sheffield at the City Hall and I thought he was magnificent. And, you know, I thought he just couldn't improve if he tried. Then the next thing that happened was he went really commercial with this backing group. And I didn't like that very much. Uh, I don't know what he's trying to do. I think he's conceding to the, you know, to some sort of popular taste. I think it's a bad thing. I think he's... I think he's prostituting himself. Well, it's your sick listening to this rubbish now. Bob Dylan was a bastard in the second half. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, and welcome to Best of the Best Podcast with myself, Connor Keys, as always, beside me, Mr. Ronan Mullen. Arctic monkeys are fucking old, boys. <laughs> uh, yes, you're hearing a clip uh, from Sheffield uh, in 1966 when Mr. Bob Dylan decided to go electric, and it did not go down well with the Sheffield boys. It did not go down with anyone in England, going by the footage. Um, Bob Dylan was a bastard in the second half, he a said. A bastard? <laughs> because he played an electric guitar with a backing band <laughs> instead of an acoustic folk set. Forgot one out, kids. So, yes, you're very welcome. We are here today to talk about the one and only Mr. Bob Dylan and his album, Blood on the Tracks, his 15th studio album. Mm-hmm. Like we always say, this is not us dictating this is the best Bob Dylan album, but we are. Uh, but there are also other uh, earlier albums. Uh, yeah, ma- like Masterpieces, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I'm nearly sure we'll probably be back to Dylan at some point in the future. Yeah. Uh, but this is Blood on the Tracks, so um, we are in the year of our Lord, 19 and... 75. 75, baby. In the year <laughs> 75, 75. <laughs> this is Bob Dylan heading into his first album with the new record label. Isn't that back, right? to back to the old. Reverend, back to Columbia. Yeah, back to Columbia. First go back. And uh, yeah, there's a bit of a, I mean, it's Mr. Rob, Robert Zimmerman, as uh, uh-huh. uh, Mr. Dylan is uh, known by his man, dad. Uh, <laughs> Mommy and Daddy Zimmerman Not Mommy and Daddy Dylan Not Mommy and Daddy Zimmerman Yeah, so Robert Zimmerman, a.k.a. Bob Dylan um, So he, the history of him, I mean You could do five hours podcast just on the yeah. history of Dylan And was, all the different phases he went through I was actually going to ask you, what what is your history first? How, what, when did you first hear Bob Dylan? Or not this album in particular, just Bob Dylan Do you um, remember? I remember a couple of things that were big um, Because, you know, I'm not going to be wanky and go yes i was listening to no but i'm not i'm the same i i don't have a distinct one of the very first things uh for me was dangerous minds mm-hmm. dangerous minds the movie uh michelle pfeiffer yeah and in the middle of it she did a scene where in order to get down with the kids she yeah. uh, brought out bob dylan's uh, mr tambourine man mm-hmm. the lyrics and got them to decipher it and it turned out mr tambourine man was a drug dealer yeah, he wasn't. Was like, oh, there's no fucking tambourines at all. I've heard that song being played in the radio, but I never knew. Jesus, that's what he's talking about. Yeah, I thought it was just a boy playing a fucking tambourine. I, my <laughs> my story is very fucking similar. I'm, I'm gonna admit, Cormac was fucking big into Bobby D. Your brother, and he had um, he had a few of the earlier albums, the debut in Freewheeling and stuff, and mm-hmm. Highway 61, and I just sort of picked up from them. Mm-hmm. Cormac was the fucking, he, Cormac ran with it, like even though I was the musician. In quotations, Cormac was the one that was picking up Beatles albums and fucking right. So, I'd always liked 
the music. And I always liked hear, listening to the albums. So we should have had Cormac on the podcast. No, 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 because no, he can't talk. And <laughs> remember when Jerry Maguire? Mm-hmm. So I was all like fucking cinephile, like and Jerry mm-hmm. Maguire. I'd love Cameron Crowe because he'd done singles, and singles was a film about based in Seattle. That's right, yeah. Um, and had a lot of Seattle grunge music at the time was the soundtrack, and I was big into that, so it was fucking huge to me. And his next film, yeah, Crow was big. In was going to be Cameron Crowe's next film had fucking Tom Cruise in it. I was mm-hmm. going, what the fuck? That's He's right. going mainstream. So Jerry Maguire's a brilliant film. Yeah, great show. And remember at the ending. Uh, the kid's throwing the baseball over the fence and he's going, hey, you've good arm. And then mm-hmm. it goes to the clip of the agent talking about, I love my life, I love my wife. Yes. And all. The song playing over it is Shelter from the Storm. Ah, yes. And right. the song, the, But the version of Shelter from the Storm I've never heard because right. it's a version that was on a bootleg. Ah, okay, right. So I went and got this album, started reading up on the album, and everybody's like, this is the Dylan album. I'm like, what? Why, how have I never fucking heard most of the songs in this? And then it just became... A constant in my life. So, uh, yeah. So, our it does happen. We talked about it in the Fight Club um, uh, podcast episode, which uh, we hope everybody enjoyed. Thank you very much for our feedback. Yeah, um, that but, fucking that, that, yeah, that one's going good. well. But like like we said in that podcast, I mean that's how I was introduced to uh, Where Is My Mind by the Pixies. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the film will introduce you. Yeah, to, it, yeah it really did. Good. And I was at that point actively searching out Bob Dylan stuff. Yeah, well, and hadn't heard this album. So, well, at the same time, running. Another thing happened to me. In happened? The, yeah, yeah. Uh, a Bob Dylan specific, and it's specific to this album, because I know Mr. Tambourine Man obviously isn't on this album, but no. what led me to this album um, was my dear friend's Hootie and the Blowfish. Did you, did, hear, the, did did that, you, did did, you hear that sigh? Did I get in close enough there? Uh, yeah. Like the door in Hitchhiker's Guide for the Galaxy? <laughs> um but, you know, we all have, you know, I mean, Jerry Maguire, nobody would have thought Jerry Maguire No, no, was no, but so that's a great link, and then we can, go, we can move on past it. No, so, no. Bob, so, who didn't blow fish? <sighs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, again, we all have embarrassing uh, teenage music choices. You know, I was a big fan of Mr. Boombastic by Shaggy. It's just... Love a oom. Fucking great tune, man. Yeah, it was a great tune. But there are just some things that got me when I was a teenager, and my uncle had bought a, a copy of Hood in the Bluefish album. Now let's let's just take a wee side note. That album, I'm, I'm right in saying, sold over forty fucking million copies or something. Yeah, it was in like a top. So like, it, it was it was quite big. It wasn't just like used. Yeah, it wasn't like it a was niche thrown thing. On you, like, like, yeah, I, it wasn't. Like, I, okay. I, but again, uh, it. No, when you listen to it, it was pop rock. That's all it was. It was like even rock being a loose term. But his voice was amazing. Anyway. Long story short, the reason Hood in the Blowfish led me to Bob Dylan is... And I'm going to play some Hood in the Blowfish for you. Oh, for fuck's sake. I swear to God. No, did no you told okay. me this is going to be a short fucking story. No. Now we're here. Oh, no, but I want to... No, you got to hear some, Hoodie. Uh, so what happened was... Oh, uh, <laughs> they released a song called I Only Want to Be With You. Right? I, I remember that song. Yeah. So in the middle of it... Uh, well, we'll just play it, won't we? Because I know you're dying to hear something. Mm-hmm. Yep. So here we go. Put on a little deal and sitting on a fence. I said that line is great. You asked me what it meant by. Said I shot a man in green. Took his wife to Italy. She had earned a million bucks and when she died, came to me. I can't help but if I'm lucky. I only want to be with you. So. Right. Right? Okay. So I had no idea. Right. Yeah. Okay, I get it. So that's not a bad wee segue now. That's not a bad wee introduction because I was sitting going, 
what do you mean put on a little Dylan? I said I shot a man named Gray, took his wife to Italy. Mm-hmm. She inherited it. I said, what the fuck? So that led me to Idiot Wind. Yep. Which, which is on this album. Which is on this album. So that's how I got introduced to this album was via... So I got to I got to the diamond via the shite. But you love hoodie. Do you know what I do? Do, no, you, what? do you know what I love? I'm sick of your your hoodie <laughs> hoodie hitting. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Here. God's answer. I said it, I said it before. I love his voice. Yeah, you have said that. Just his voice. The music was yep. shite. Like, but uh, yeah, and uh, that was it. So that got about Dylan, and then uh, you start to when you, especially when you're young and you find this album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had found this album before. Any other album, I knew about, you know, you know the hits, you know Mr. Tambourine Man, you know, even all along the Watchtower and things like that, you'll hear them about, but, uh, yeah, this was the first time to get a Bob Dylan album, uh, again, stolen from my uncle. Sorry, Patsy. But that's, it's good to have an uncle you can steal many, many things from. Yeah, I stole a lot of albums, (laughs) a lot of I stole everything from Cormac, like, literally, everything I stole from him, though I still have, everything he stole from me, lost. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is pretty much our relationship in a nutshell, <laughs> including money. Well done, Cormac. Dick. <laughs> Your man. So, yes, uh, this album was sort of, uh, it wasn't his first, obviously, we know that no, it wasn't no. his first uh, electric album, I should say. No. Because, you, as you heard there, the, uh, the the pissed off Arctic Monkeys heads <laughs> yeah. from Sheffield, uh, and that was 1966. Yeah, so we should give that a bit of context. Nine there's, there's years qu- later. There's quite a yeah. gap. Um, Dylan was, was like a fucking folk troubadour. Uh, nobody had heard anything like him before. Obviously, mm-hmm. he covered a lot of songs, and that's what sort of built his reputation. Early sixties in New York, but yeah, a lot of Woody Guthrie stuff, and a lot of, a lot yeah. of Woody Guthrie, um, a lot of blues as well, mm-hmm. um, which he incorporated into a folk sort of, which was already happening in folk. I mean, that Newport Folk Festival where mm-hmm. he blew up, and yeah. the infamous playing of an electric guitar at a sort of changed rock history. But it, it, they were already showcasing like. Highland Wolf and Lead Belly and hmm. all the Muddy Waters and these type of guys, they were already playing. But of course, Johnny Cash was playing as well. And Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan became good friends. And I never knew it was a sort of staple in country music. If you were handed a guitar by a country artist, you were branded as, you're good to go. Right. And uh, n- notoriously, there's a story where Johnny Cash came backstage to talk to Bob Dylan and asked him to come out into the hallway and give him his guitar. And it's his guitar from, um, like, the... The, the prison shows San Quentin well, so he right. has like that, that guitar Fuck. and he was like Johnny Cass is like a god to me so he, he had all these mixtures of sounds and songs but what separated Dylan from everyone else and why he's considered uh, the greatest musical export from America ever is he was a poet mm-hmm. and that type of thing didn't happen no the most folk songs was up in the morning going down down chicken is eating you know he, but was, were, he was throwing in things that people thought were literal and, yeah, and weren't yeah. and, and as a poem obviously but so he decides in 1965 66 at the the height of his popularity now he wasn't huge but he was getting out yeah, of the yeah, con- yeah. out of the folk and country circles and going in more mainstream mm-hmm. he decided to start playing with the backing band and playing electric versions of his most popular songs this fucked everybody off people went crazy and the the audio you heard at the start of this podcast is just uh, it's just a minuscule um, output of what was being said about him yeah. to him. If you watch the documentary, he's being booed. Well, I have the I have the bootleg of the uh, infamous Royal Albert Hall show, nineteen sixty six, where the, uh, the guy shouts Judas, Judas from the the crowd, and uh, Dylan says, "I don't believe you." 
Yeah. And then I didn't realize, I always thought when I listened to that clip, because it's quite a famous clip now, it's become, mm -hmm. uh, especially in, in Justin, even if you're not a Dylan fan, it's kind of musical history. It really is. Um, but uh, I always thought it, when they kick into like a Rolling Stone, uh, you hear very faintly, play it fucking loud. Yeah. Right. So I always thought that was Dylan. So it turns out it's not, it's the drummer. Yeah. The drummer has shouted us to the rest of the band, play yep. it, because they're all fucked off at this guy shouting that's, Judas. That's Levon him. Helm. Levon Helm. I couldn't think of his name, but yeah. yeah. And he, uh, so he's the guy at the back going, play it fucking loud. Yeah, they're just, just at this point, yeah. they've toured all over England, and the last stop is the London stuff. Mm -hmm. So they're fucked off to the back teeth. Yeah. They just want to go back to America and try to figure out what they're going to do. Now, obviously, Dylan's a fucking millionaire. He, he's loaded at this point. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, so he can go back to America and just sort of, pull in all his assets and all his functions and try to get what's the next stage of my career. The band that he's with just happened to be the Hawks, who yes. he had heard playing with Ronnie Hawk. And, and that band just happens to be the band. So <laughs> the fucking band are then going back to America to write their, their first album that Dylan helps them with. And he just decides to take off for a few years. <laughs> And moves his family and stuff to Woodstock. They they, they start recording the albums in the Big Pink, which is named after named because the band then took that on as their album name, mm -hmm. music from the Big Pink. And Dylan just decides to go off on this other tangent. He also has a major motorcycle accident in '66, which people say didn't happen. He made it up just to get away, <laughs> just to escape. Which would be a reasonable fucking thing to do when you've just. Taking your fucking... Don't open that wormhole, run. I'm not going to. So anyway, he's getting booed, they're getting battered, they're getting this, that, and the other, and he decides... A few albums go out. There's actually a live album with the band called Before yeah. the Flood, which is amazing. It's just before this album. Mm -hmm. um, so he's not actually putting out a lot of original material that he's put a bit of work into, no. or that means anything. He's just dithering along. Yeah. Then this comes along. And this album's written from the point of view of... A person whose heart's breaking, like they, they, they don't know. Yeah, so we should give maybe the context of what's going on then in this, because uh, uh, this album has maybe has sort of been classified as one of the the best, one of the best encapsulations of a of a breakup, mm -hmm. um, which uh, obviously was very sad at the time, but it produces yeah, you know sadness can sometimes reduce some magic as well, mm -hmm. which it has done here. Uh, his first wife was it Sarah? Was it Sarah. Sarah, yeah. Um, so he was putting up with her at the time. Is this what this well, is all coming about? Well, apparently they had separated already okay. uh, for a year before or so. And I was actually just looking this up. I didn't know what, I thought it was just, you know, people grow apart or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's a big successful musician and she's a stay-at-home wife and they've got two or three kids. And But apparently they were like marriage bliss and it all fell apart because they were building a house. Right. And the amount of arguing they were doing over some fireplace that had to be removed and rebuilt three or four times led to them just going, it's not worth it. <laughs> so the great emotional Bloody troubadour of music, <laughs> it wasn't a huge emotional, just, even we just fucking, couldn't. <laughs> even Bobby even Bob D could not resistant to the fucking hit of DIY. He's <laughs> literally at the fucking hardware store in the town going, I'd fucking put She's driving me, man. Stick out in the counter, Stevie, <laughs> will you? Because I'm fucking fed up with this thing. I'll pay you at the end of the month because I don't know how many times we'll be back. Need a few fucking ton of stone. Sure, you got you three ton of stone last. <laughs> ah, don't even fucking bastard. They're in the fucking skip. Mm -hmm. 
so listen, you've got the, uh, Sarah was the wife, but Jacob Dylan has said in, yes. in later years, like it's basically because he had to live through it. He was a child. He's, J- Jacob he's a Dylan singer. is Bob Dylan's son. He's a singer of the Wolf. Is the wallflowers? No, well, well, good research. They were um, shit anyway, but yeah. he um <laughs> he says he, he loves he loves the thought of his dad being Bob Dylan because he loves his dad and his dad was a very affectionate father and he loves that his dad had another life. The other life is the musician Bob Dylan. Yeah. But he says this album is the one he can't listen to. And yeah. the journalist he notoriously like his father doesn't talk about his family. Mm-hmm. But the journalist then keeps prodding. He's like, Why I mean sure it's it's one of his most popular albums. It's a huge critically fucking acclaimed album. And he says because it's the sound of my parents fighting. Yeah, that's just a soundtrack of their fight. But Bob Dylan says the album is not about his wife and not about his breakup because he notoriously twists the media and twists everything. Yeah, of course it is. Can't, yeah, of course of it fucking is. course it is. Yeah, like. but you can't understand. Yeah, and, and you can't uh, deny his right to do that too because he gets so much absolutely. shit in the media. Of course he wants to twist him about and fuck about Absolutely. Him and have fun with him. That's what he was doing. He was just making up stuff at times. Yeah, all the time. Even the if you've watched on Netflix the Rolling Thunder review, documentary mm-hmm. three or four of the people that are talking that documentary don't exist <laughs> there's a there's an interview with a, a french director who apparently is the guy who filmed all the arcade footage of dylan playing on stage in 1976 75 right he's bat Midler's husband he's not the name that they put under him also sharon stone's in it she says that she met bob dylan wearing a kiss t-shirt as her mother brought her uh-huh. to yes yeah, and yeah. bob dylan, that never happened they just made it up right so it's it's keeping on the legacy of what Dylan did. Yeah. Uh, because, and I've, we've talked about this during Sgt. Peppers, there was that thing going on at that time in that era. Now, put it down to fucking LSD, put it down to weed, put it down whatever you think. But yes. there was that thing of this fuck with these people, let's fuck about with them. Yeah. Whether it's firing out false fucking uh, f- hidden clues or all that sort of stuff, subliminal messages. The or making it, it sound more ominous than it was. And it was just ominous. an innocent, like telling the story about uh, just reading the newspaper about people parking on the road outside Abbey Road yeah, and they made it out to be no no there's something spiritual behind this like, nope <laughs> not once and we never said it was but you made it out of it was that's it you took it on uh, we got uh, we'll, be, we'll, we'll play a bit of music from the album um, just to cleanse ourselves of Hood and Blowfish and uh, I mean mm-hmm. we the first track yeah it's just uh, you, you really it's hard to get past this first track because yeah. it's so fucking good but, has- but everything in the album is as good as the song, but it's you just have to get past this first one. And has become maybe uh, one of. I'm not going to say it's most famous because it's not as most famous, but it's maybe as most critically it, acclaimed. It, maybe, yeah, he plays sense. it a lot live. Um, uh, I remember it being at Rolling Stone top 500. And yeah, you're right. The actual like a Rolling Stone was the number one. Yeah, it would be song mm-hmm. of the five hundred, but Tangled Up and Blue was in the top ten, I think, mm-hmm. because or maybe top twenty, um, right up there with the hits like like Rolling Stone and stuff. Um, so we're gonna go from we're not gonna do what we normally do and play just from the start. We're gonna go from we're gonna go for a, a specific verse, uh-huh. uh, because this specific verse for some reason when he plays it live, uh, there's if you look up top ten live versions of Tangled Up and Blue, like the first five that you look at, this verse isn't in any of them, and there's a reason. Right. Okay. So we'll play it oh, and then we'll let's do this. She lit a burner on the stove and offered me a pipe. I thought you'd never say hello. She said you look like a silent type. And she opened up a book of poems and handed it to me. Written by an Italian poet from the 13th century. And every one of them words rang true. Oh 
Yeah. Yes. So you're like, first off, that's a fucking verse. Mm-hmm. Secondly, <laughs> the, the the second part of that verse is the lyrics. And every one of them words rang true and glowed like burning coal, pouring off of every page like it was written in my soul from me to you. <laughs> and he doesn't sing it live. So the, it's surmised that that one is the most personal line he's ever written about anything or anyone because he, he isn't hiding a single thing. Yeah. Even though what he's referencing there is the line before, which is a book of poems, a woman, but he's not talking about a book of poems. Mm-hmm. He's talking about him and his wife or an ex-girlfriend or somebody very, very close to him that he knows he will never be able to shake. Yeah. But they have to leave. Yeah. And... It's it's sort of and that's the first fucking song. Yeah, I know, man. That's so now, so deep. If you want to get into that, here's like so... here's my problem with this album in terms of when I first listened to it, I was sort of lost in the I'm listening to Bob Dylan album that I really really can't get out of my head. Mm-hmm. Part I didn't dig deeper because I was 15. Yeah, of course, yeah. And I just took it verbatim. I took that's it as that, it was. Yeah. I didn't yeah. really go into any aspects of it. But when I got older and started listening to different albums that people sort of were inspired by and thought about it a bit deeper after it came out, I kept hearing about a Frank Sinatra album called In the Wee Small Hours. Have you ever heard of this album? No. It's Frank Sinatra's, basically his only fully formed album that doesn't have a major single on it. Right. Um, and is a theme. And the theme is Heartbreak. The whole way through it. Right. And basically... I love me some Sinatra, I have to say. I, that, this is where I'm going. I love I, I, I knew nothing about this album, but I kept seeing... I knew Frank Sinatra. We mm. knew all the big hits. Yeah. But none of them are on, like, one album together. No. It, it, he's a lot of albums. A lot of... Yeah. He um, was a soloist. Yeah. He, yeah. he released solo songs, and he was big in singles, and he was that a lot of, sort of... A lot of covers. Yes, yeah. and a lot of covers. A lot of covers, yeah, yeah. This is his entirely original album right. that he wrote. And it, it's fucking phenomenal. But do not listen to it if you're in a, a dark place. Because right. it, it is a tearjerker, like. Oh, right, okay. And it's basically a man having a breakdown on an album. Right. No, I learned this subsequ- after yeah, the fact. Yeah. Now I always kept looking at that album going, why? Who, who's annoying Frank? Like, Frank? <laughs> I, all, the no- all stuff I know about Frank is he'll have you fucking killed. Like, it's Frank. So who's annoyed Frank that he had to write an album? And then you find it as his wife. It's the one person that he can't one kill. So <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> can't whack. He found out that his wife's having an affair. Right, okay. And they're getting divorced. So this is him having a complete... And I was like, what fucking albums are, are like this? What this woman is, has an affair is, on Old Blue Eyes? I know. Like, why, why would you do that to Frank? Perfect. So then they were like, you know, this is only second to Blood on the Tracks with Bob Dylan. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. How long am I out there for two seconds? The, what? This? The biggest heartbreak album of all time by Frank Sinatra is considered second... To Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks and album I know and love. What are you talking about? Then, it, then the then it all started. The Tetris fucking block started. <laughs> Inception. And I, started, and I started listening to the lyrics, going, "Holy uh, fuck!" I, I must have been fucking mid twenties before I caught on. To I, I was a university you know I mean? man, I so I was nineteen twenty when I got and that. And I think it's maybe you know uh, sometimes you can uh, appreciate a song, no matter who's from, no matter what artist, and like we said earlier on, you can sometimes put your own meaning to it. And people will, will latch on their own meaning to things, you know. But yeah, Dylan's album, this one specifically, is like a fucking A level in poetry. You know, you you're, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're gonna have to study this shit because you have to fucking uh, it's it's up there like with some of the greatest poets, uh, especially in the in the twentieth century. It's fucking some amazing. Well, there, amazing here's a line. There's a few lines of this line of this verse that are 
different than what's on the album. But this is from Simple Twist of Fate. Which is our next, the second song on the album, I think, after. We can, we'll listen to that after. It's not the second song, I don't think, is it? Yeah. Oh, there's the second song. Um, he woke up and she was gone. He didn't see nothing but the dawn. Get out of bed and put his shoes back on. Then he pushed back the blinds. Found a note she left behind. What did it say? It said you should have met me in 58. We could have avoided all this. A simple twist of fate. <laughs> second song. Right. And you're already sort of going. But here's my problem. When I was listening to it, like I said initially, the musicianship is quite bright. Yeah. It's it's more uplifting than the tone of the lyrics suggest. Yes. Like, some of fit. Uh, I, I did read somewhere that in, in the pre-production of the album that they, uh, I can't remember, maybe another record label before they actually came to Columbia, heard it, and there was a complaint that it all sort of sounded samey. That and was it was that was about like it was all in the same key and it was you know needed yes. to change things. Do, Where do was you that? Wanna, that? Do you want to get into that before? It's here's the problem. Well, it sort of sets up the album nicely when we're going to hear on to other things. Yeah, well, you can. Here's the difficulty see. with this album. It isn't the album that was written. Yeah, there is about fifty different variations of this album because he had written and recorded all of it entirety in mm-hmm. um, the Columbia, the, the infamous Columbia A and A and B studios, A and R studios. Mm-hmm. The ones where he recorded his original albums for Columbia. Right. This recording studio. He loved the sound of the studio. He loved the setup. He just wanted to be back to where he was in his first mindset to write this album. Um, and what people found was he... All the songs were very melancholy. Hmm. And there was no brightness to it at all. He didn't think that. So he finished it in its mm-hmm. entirety. Many different variations. The producers say from one take to the next, he would change lyrics. He would change chord structures. He would change everything. So it was finished. And this was in December, November, December of 74. So the, the record label were prepping to put this out in January. Like, mm-hmm. they're ready to go. It's mixed. He goes home to Minneapolis, where he's originally from. And he talks to his brother in Minnesota, and he plays him the album. His brother goes, you need to perk that up a bit, man. It's 1975. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like, what? Well, this is the thing. 75, like middle of full-on disco period. You're, you know, you're, you're, everything you're ready. Glam, yes, glam rock is sitting in. And also everything man. is... is Everything is OTT, but everything is basically fucking bouncing on coke. Yeah, it <laughs> is. No, you're right. Everybody is you're full of energy. Right. And that's uh, the world they were in. So yeah. he took the album and re-recorded five songs in Minneapolis. Okay. So this album is five songs, or half, one half of it's New York. The yeah, other half. Yeah, I've seen that. But notoriously, there has been a bootleg of the New York album about forever. It what? came out in the early 80s, and right. people have had copies of it. and blah, blah. So last year, or the year before... The record label released an album called More Blood, More Tracks, which is all the outtakes. It's oh, like right. six fucking albums worth of... Right. So there is an order within these CDs. Mm-hmm. There is the proper album. Yes. So ne- there only is one actual proper album and that's The New York yeah. album, the people York say, one. is okay. the original album. But the album I fell in love with was this album. Yes. And so, so And I've heard the songs and like a big fucking wink, I put the album together on Spotify. Of course you did. And it's really good. It's really good. Like, is it? It's better? fucking... Idiot Wind is brutal. No. This version. A brutal bad? No. Brutal as in harsher than this version. Get out. Oh my fucking days. It's well, really well, good. Well, we'll leave this on because we, we've, we've passed You're a Big Girl now um, just because Idiot Wind's next. But, I mean, we should play that because... Even the kickoff of this, mm-hmm. um, it's. I mean, the kickoff is the lyrics alone. 
Straight in. No, straight to the jugular. Someone's got it in for me. They're planting stories in the press. <laughs> Paranoid head. <man. laughs> Whoever it is, I wish they cut it out quick. When they will, I can only guess. See, Colleen Rooney thinks she had trouble. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Bob had it long before there was social long media. Before. Uh, <laughs> there were so many planting stories about it. I mean, what a way to kick off straight away. You just mm-hmm. ears apart, going, What? Who's talking about Bob? So much planting stories in the press. Uh, People are g- cheating on Frank. People are talking <laughs> about Bob. The fuck's wrong? <laughs> the world's going to fall apart. Uh, and yeah, but I mean, idiot went. <laughs> we d- we're not going to play it because it's seven minutes. Eight minutes 40. 15, I think. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's fucking. Uh, it's a long song, but again, No, it is 7.40. You're right. The other ones have 15 pauses. There's a lot of detail. A lot of yep. stuff. And to, to be honest with you, kind of like one of the earlier songs, The Hurricane, which is quite long mm-hmm. and quite detailed and a lot of stuff in it, you don't really see it passing. No, you know, you, no. You don't feel it passing because yep. you're, 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 you're engrossed in the story. And, mm-hmm. and that's the joy of what Dylan can do. He can take you on a story along with the music as well. But um, it's the last thing you would think he would cover, the last topic you think he would yep, go on. absolutely. And it's like his rage, jealousy mm-hmm. portion of the album. Yep, yep. So you're, you've already heard complete... Fucking heartbreak and this morose. Oh, for fuck, she's away. Yeah. All. <laughs> and that, you know, and, and that, that's where I had uh, obviously the song was the one that got me here, as I say, by uh, our bookers, um, uh, <laughs> the blowfishers. But uh, that, that said, you know, all the, the fake stories that were going into the press, they shot a, shot a man named Gray, took his wife to Italy, and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I never actually found out was there, was that literal, or was he just, was it wordplay? I think it was did there, ever, did there ever actually be a story where they, you know, they were proclaiming him to have been a gold digger, which is what I'm suggesting, that he's, yeah. you know, he's, he's married somebody just for the money. You know, was that something that was ever, or was it just a, a case of these are mad stories and I'm just going to fire them in here? Listen. Yeah, I think it's mad stories in mm-hmm. reference to, um, or metaphorically sort of entwined with stories that were coming out about him having a f- premarital affairs and uh, affairs during marriage and every time he was on tour... Joan Baez would join up, who was his yes. ex-girlfriend. Uh-huh. And people were like, why is your ex-girlfriend on tour with you? And, you know, they have a, they have a varied love affair anyway, him yeah. and Joan Baez. But, I mean, the, 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 the girlfriend in between that uh, was the girl who was on the front cover of uh, one of his earlier albums. And she keeps popping up to you. And you're like, Bob, you're not helping yourself, man. Bob, put the reefer down, <laughs> my man. Bob. Free love. Free love, baby. Well, you know y- I mean? you're Bob Dylan. You're a solo artist on tour, and at this point, not electric, so it's going to be a lot of women, like. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a lot of LSD. going to be a lot of weed. A lot of weed. And uh, no, I wouldn't know. No, no, no. Anything about LSD. I don't know what about you're LSD, even... but. <laughs> what is weed? What um, are weed? But yeah, I mean, if you have, if you, if you have a guitar. You're writing songs like that in the sixties that are Man. so socially on the ball, um, blown in the wind, <laughs> blown knacker clean off. Man. <laughs> There's something blowing in the wind, isn't there? Here, man, play with my tambourine. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? He's gonna, he's gonna. There's gonna be a lot of, of ladies about, yeah, of course. But and he met the, the Sarah. He said is is and always will be the love of his life. 
Yeah, that was his he, wife, Sarah. So yeah, he has other songs where he's referencing ex-girlfriends in there. Little of his life, but we don't know if he's talking from the perspective of a metaphor, if it's a poem, if it's one. And this you know. is why we fucking love Dylan because you can he can get away with that. He can he can yeah. He, he married a person right he, he in can, the eighties and had kids and hit it. Nobody knew until like two thousand and eight. <laughs> this is how good he is. He's fucking brilliant. He yeah. married a person. They split up after like a fucking year and a half or something. But they had a kid and he hit it. <laughs> Nobody knew until a journalist like revealed it. <laughs> And then he had a reference it in his book, <laughs> like. But he he plays so fucking close yeah. to the bone that. And he's always been he's always been out there. As a phrase, phrase that would have been used back in the sixties, mm-hmm. uh, out there, man. But uh, by the time Blood and Tracks is out, is this the period where he's got the face paint on? And yes, yes. So I yes. mean, he's he's even more out there. He's in the middle of the seventies, and that's uh, like Dylan is known for his uh, drug consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, the 70s are well known for <laughs> consumption of drugs as well. Yeah. But something was going on. I mean, the man was... Yeah. Although I did see a documentary him talking about being able to hide behind the sort of face paint. and the, Yeah, it was a mask. It was a mask that he yeah. could wear on stage and it gave him a bit more confidence. And actually, when you compare him to the... Because he is an awkward cunt. He's a very awkward cunt. He is really awkward and really socially, even interviews or mm-hmm. even any videos you see of him uh, live, he's just, he's awkward. Huh. So, but in this album and on this tour, that subsequent to the band stuff you're talking about, he's, he's a different he's a different person. Oh, he is Behind a different that person. mask and he can yep. be a you're different, right. he's a different front man. Mm-hmm. And it, it never appeared again. Once you get rid of that mask, no. he, the mask fell off, and that was it. Well, that was the, that was the Rolling Thunder review tour, which mm-hmm. was literally followed this album coming out. That this yeah. was his tour, following promoting this album. But what he did was he took other people on tour and poets and artists, and that, and yeah. that was his. Did that come out recently? That came out on Netflix last year. Oh, that's last year. I watched it. Okay. It was Scorsese. Yeah, Scorsese. Jesus, I was thinking, well, fucking hell, my mind's going. But like mad. we're saying, that, that. that even that tour and yeah. the documentary is all full of mad lies too, like. Yeah, that's that, 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 that's 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 Sharon Stone the kiss yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I was thinking, I was where going, did I see that? Was like, but it's it's uh, the face paint. He actually wore masks on some of the shows. Some of the masks, had, like a clear yeah. mask, you couldn't yeah. see it. So people were like, "Is it Bob? What the fuck's going on?" Because yeah. it was really difficult to see. But then he opens his mouth. Then he opens his mouth, and you're yeah. like, "Yeah, it's definitely him." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but even like, what I loved about him, even do you remember uh, Dylan Unplugged, mm-hmm. <laughs> where he just decided. Fuck it! I'm not going to make any of these songs sound like yeah. any of the songs they actually are, like like a Rolling Stone on unplugged. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's mental, uh-huh. but, uh, but yeah. that's him playing with them. Yeah, like he'd him. never do that version of it again. No, in, but that, in, anybody knows this is going to be a major fucking production. The MTV are going to show over and over yeah. again. It's going to be an album, and he's like, "Fuck it, yeah, just do whatever way I want." Um, yeah. So Dylan has always been. We call it awkward. We call it whatever. You can call it a genius, and because uh, he is as well. I mean, that sometimes that uh, you find that um, sort of social awkwardness, yeah, um, is usually associated sometimes with those sort of real deep philosophical geniuses, and that's mm-hmm. what he was in that sense. Well, a lot of the themes of this album, like we're talking about, are his relationships, and people have sort of transcribed that as to be uh, him, his ego. Mm-hmm. And it's him talking about the heartbreak. It's not her talking about it, right, and yeah. it's his perspective. And he does give a few female perspectives in it. But what people are reading and it, um, and have read and it, sorry, since the seventies, is that a lot of it's about his insecurities with women. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is a guy from fucking Minnesota who turned up in New York, and he was absolutely nothing. And within two years, he was the biggest fucking artist ever. Like he, he was hardly a Lothario in fucking Minnesota. Like, so he lands in, and all the ladies are like, "Oh my hey, god, Mr. Zimmerman!" You know, in Greenwich Village in fucking New York, and these free fucking ladies of the sixties are all like, "Here, brass off!" Like, 
He's going to brass off as right. <laughs> Get brass off, mate. I'm I'm Bob, by the way. I'm not George. I'm Bob. Yeah. I'm not Robert Zimmerman. I'm Bob. Uh, I'm, I'm Bob. Uh, somebody. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, something really, we talk about the heartbreak. I mean, um, sometimes even the, the, the actual, just the titles of the songs are enough to uh, cause heartbreak. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to play a wee clip of this one. So you're going to make me lonesome when you go. You got prepare yourself. You're going to cry. There's going to be tears. Like. I've seen love go by my door. It's never been this close before. Never been so easy or so slow I've been shooting in the dark too long When something's not right, it's wrong You're gonna make me loads when you go mm-hmm. Yes, you are It makes you all warm, probably <laughs> In the wrong way uh, I mean, the production end of this You've mm. got the distinctive Dylan sound yeah. which is you know considering he's a solo artist and this um, is all post electric yeah so when he does so the acoustic stuff it sounds like really good homey old back to the, like, tr- yeah. like the harmonica obviously the the, there's a bit more low end there's a bit more, better yeah. mixing better of it but, better, yeah. uh, that's because it's fucking 10 years later mm-hmm. but you, you get you really get the feeling that there was, there was no major instruction to anyone on this album uh, nobody was told we want to go for this sound specifically I think he was in the old room he was in mm-hmm. he was happy where he was and by what engineers were saying, like I said earlier, he was he was writing stuff off the off the, on the fly. Like a lot yeah. of these songs appeared. What's just? I know it's mental. It's mental. mental. Like, like how genius that is that it just comes off the. Now here's my problem, and I was thinking about this during the week. My, I'm not a songwriter. You're not a songwriter. We we well, let's not talk about that song. <laughs> we um, we I don't know the structure that goes through a songwriter's head, but I always thought it was you had a plan. Mm-hmm. And you knew sort of roughly where you were going thematically or yeah, you had, you what had, melody you had for the chorus. Or, you you know. like, yeah, somebody would have. But because of how many variations of each song there are out in the ether of this fucking album in particular, yeah. he, he, did, he had no plan. He was just there. I, I, like, and this is not to be flippant about it, but I would say he was out of it. Man. When you're constantly that distracted and there's so much flow, because that's mm-hmm. what it is, because none of that... I've heard different versions of different things, and but none of it is shit. No, that's not, you know to be to be constantly flowing out mm-hmm. uh, in that state of flow. You want to call it that? Where I mean, there's some fucking genius lines yeah. coming in that stuff. There really, it. really is, um, and it's hardly like he was fucking. You know, originally it was you're gonna make me lonesome, suck my balls. <laughs> it was always <laughs> you're gonna make me lonesome when you, go. you know, in the sense that. He had that thread. <laughs> you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to make me lonesome, suck my balls. <laughs> I'm never going to listen to that song ever again oh. while thinking about a big Bobby D's balls. of hairy testicles. <laughs> Bobby D's balls. Dropping in tea bags. Now, time. we have to say as well, when we talked about influences earlier, you know, the Hank Williams, Hank Williams, sorry, Woody Guthrie. Mm-hmm. Woody Guthrie's his idol. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. He, Woody Guthrie's uh, the man that put him on the I fucking... Let's be honest, he, he stole a lot from he Woody did. Guthrie. He yeah. really did, but <laughs> like, what Woody Guthrie never had was the poetry. Yeah, that's it. And he never, he couldn't, he couldn't put it the way that Dylan put it. Mm. And it just worked with that type of music so much better. And subsequently, it works with every type of music. Because I've seen the fucking, the folky Dylan, the Christian Dylan, the yeah. fucking rock Dylan. Yeah. I've seen the crazy 80s pop Dylan. And the voice. 
and the voice. The voice is another big swing upon kind of like you know, uh, like I say, I do fall in love with a voice sometimes. Yeah, that's so distinctive. Yeah, but I've loved them all. So distinctive. But what but, I, he, but he can change it. He can't change it. He can change it around and to make him not sound like that, which, which we talked about in Unplugged. He does that live, yeah. but. Even for albums, he can do that too, which is... But let's go right back to what we said about Tom Waits. Mm-hmm. He did the same he thing. the same thing, yeah, yeah. When he heard Dylan, he tried to start off sounding like Dylan. When mm-hmm. he heard fucking Leonard Cohen, he tried to change to Leonard Cohen. When he heard, you know, all these other crazy, yeah. the Bonzo dog, he tried to change to sound like them. And you, you, can't, you can't discredit it in any way because every time he did it, it worked. Mm-hmm. You know, I like hearing old Tom Waits' voice. I like oh, hearing so, yeah, modern yeah. Tom Waits' voice. I but like, you know where it is when you You know where it is in the canon because yeah. it sort of, yeah. it holds Same its own. This, yeah. So when we talk about the influences as well, what I really didn't know until I watched the No Direction Home documentary years mm-hmm. ago. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. It's yeah. fucking brilliant. I, I keep forgetting it's like three and a half hours long and it doesn't even cover was, most of his career. I was going to say five, but I think it's, it's a huge, real long. Like, yeah. But it's so detailed. Mm-hmm. And I forgot about the clips with the Clancy Brothers. Yes, the Clancy Brothers thing, I hadn't seen that since... And I remember, I remember it as clear as a fucking bell, lying in Tom Sweeney's house on a Sunday morning. Big shit out of Big Tom. Big tea. And I would sleep on the floor in the living room because we'd sit up all night watching fucking shit films on. And I'd sleep on the floor in the living room. Tom would come in on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Oh, Ronnie, cup of tea. I'd be like, hi, Tom. Kettle's on. <clears throat> that means get up. Get up. So... I'd be getting up, but the whole time before he came in the room, I'd be hearing him singing these songs. And he'd be singing away, Tommy make him flat out in the house. And I used to fucking love it because Tom has a brilliant voice. Cracking I voice. love hearing yeah. Tom singing. Uh-huh. And he would be singing Tommy make him and I would always be going, who is this boy? And they'd find out Tommy make his uncle. Tommy make was in the fucking Clancy Brothers. Yeah. Bob Dylan loved Tommy make and Liam Clancy and the Clancy Brothers. And I didn't realize... That at one point, in, in, in our world, the Clancy Brothers sold a third of all albums in Ireland. <laughs> they were huge. They were massive. So, in this documentary, Liam Clancy's interviewed. Um, God bless Liam and Tommy have passed away, but Liam Clancy's talking about Bob Dylan like, like he's Dylan Thomas. Like he's a poet who just mm-hmm. happened to find a guitar and figure out how it worked. Mm-hmm. What I didn't know was that Bob Dylan used to follow the Clancy Brothers around New York. He'd just be sitting on the stage staring at them with his mouth open. And this is a quote from fucking Bob Dylan. Tommy Makem and the Clancy Brothers, I'd never heard singers as good as them ever. They were the best ballad singers I'd ever heard in my life. I wouldn't be here without the Clancy Brothers. Jesus, by You can't really get much bigger than that. No. And he would follow them back to Ireland and visit, like, Tommy's home in Armagh and all. That is mental, look, isn't it? And Katie. And he would be over, like, with Liam Clancy, and Liam Clancy would go over and visit him, and they'd be drinking and fucking playing songs to each other. And I'm talking Irish rebel songs and ballads and yeah. all. And that's what Bob Dylan started to figure out you could do. It doesn't have to have a structure. You, you walk play, in, you, know, you imagine it, you walk into... Bobby D flat. You walk into a pub in Katie, uh-huh. and you go into the corner and go, who's that cunt playing Bob Dylan songs? Go, oh, fuck, it's Bob Dylan. <laughs> who's that cunt playing Black and Tan? It's Bob Dylan. <laughs> Why is he doing that? Uh, Jesus, that is. So that's that's where you're. So I'm I'm sitting on a Sunday morning. That's up there with the 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 Kurt Cobain link to Carrick Moore. Ah, that was a fucking mental one. <laughs> and the, the, wasn't it that Courtney Love and the daughter were over at a museum in Cork or something? And there's a big fucking mural to him and his family in Carrick Moore. Yeah, oh. his, his grandparents were from Initiative. It's just outside Carrick Moore, which is just outside Oma. 
uh, yeah, his grandparents moved to Seattle direction or whatever from here. So they moved from Carrickmore to the darkest, dingiest place in America? Yep. They fucked up there. I don't know if the grandparents went straight there, but yeah, there's something about it. That's some fucking journey. They went to New York, maybe, and then the, 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 the children went to Andern. But uh, yeah, so, I mean, Bob Dylan as well, there's another connection. So, yeah, But so again, that's not a, you that's can a, see that's a musical appreciation type of connection, more than anything else. So. If somebody described his music and we're saying it's it's acoustic, it's, you know, it's full of longing and hurt and emotion and po- you go, that sounds like an Irish personal song. Yeah, if you if you describe it in its yeah, most yeah. basic in its most basic terms, that's what it is. Yeah, and it's got singing that you don't think should work, but it does, like ballad singing. Mm-hmm. But you can't unhear it. No, and you need a fucking heap of paints first. You, you need a heap of paints, <laughs> and just get the boys around, sucking, yelling, and roaring, and crying, and then yelling and roaring again. Uh, right. So I mean. When it comes to the album, then we're, we're like you've got uh, "Meet Me in the Morning" comes after that, um, mm. which is a real bluesy sort of real blues thing. Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which again was one of the ones that stood to me at the start. But I, like you said, I didn't realize it was as long as it is. Yeah, it's, it's it just, just flies by. It flies in because you're just engrossed with the words. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to maybe it's going to maybe sound controversial now, but musically, it's it, musically it was never ground, groundbreaking. No. I'll you know, agree with you 100%. Wasn't, there's nothing new or experimental when you think of the likes of the 70s, maybe with Bowie and things well, like that. There was nothing well, What really was coming out then was Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell, Bowie, Paul Simon, all very personal and intricate musical albums. Yeah. And But Bob Bob's voice and, and lyrics took center stage. Yeah, the music The was music sort of, just sort of... I'm glad it's there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But if it was just him singing, I wouldn't mind either. But you sort of could get the criticism of somebody saying it maybe might sound samey. And, and mm-hmm. sometimes that... Uh, I have heard younger people saying to me, "Oh no, I don't know." It's all sort of sounds the same. Not uh, you know, the lyrics stand out so much that it, for the first maybe maybe the only artist ever the lyrics drown out the music. Mm. And, and that sounds weird to say that it, yeah. it doesn't, but I mean they're 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 so um, they're so perfect in mm. every. In every sentence, it's just like, oh, play it again, play it again, because mm-hmm. there's so many lines going through. Um, we've got your favorite track, uh-huh. the one that brought you to the yeah to the four. Um, well, we played from the start. Give it a wee rattle from the start there. Twas in another lifetime, one of toil and blood. When blackness was a virtue, the road was full of mud I came in from the wilderness, a creature void of form Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm Unreal again But that's your... He, he, do, he doesn't vary from that for the whole song No, he just... It's, it's... And then there's a harmonic outro, just like most of the songs Yeah But... If you're paying attention, but you're encapsulated, like you, you're completely, you're fulfilled there, like, completely. Yeah, yeah you've caught Be- before, that. You, you, and I can't, I can't tell you what he's playing. Yeah. I, I'm not even really paying attention. I'm just <laughs> glad it's there. Yeah. And it's, uh, it it, it's, it's, it's such a fucking album. It's such a fucking album. And uh, I mean, the influence that we talked about that. I mean, we see. Uh, I can't. Um, there's very few uh, artists that I have watched, or either been interviewed or some along the way, especially when it comes to songwriting. Mm-hmm. That haven't referenced Dylan. Well, you wouldn't be worth your shit if not. Yeah. Again, we'll go back to Tom Waits. Dylan, 
Dylan to a songwriter is as essential as Hammer and Nails are to a carpenter. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and there's no better way of describing them because if you're not analyzing it and overanalyzing it and looking into it, then you're not paying attention. And that's why Dylan fans are so fucking passionate. And that's why he maybe gets dissed so easily by other people, especially um, yeah, fair. just non-Dylan fans who just aren't willing to commit. Because you do have to commit. You do have to commit. This is a long, ca- like 1961 yeah. till today. Oh, he, there's a lot in between uh, that. And, and not only recorded albums and light albums, there's bootlegs of yeah. every fucking show he's ever done. And, and let's not forget, this is number 15. Yes. There's a lot of output. Because mm-hmm. there's 15 official albums. Mm-hmm. As you say, kind of bootlegs and all the other stuff. I think the bootlegs are up to volume 14 now or something. There's not as good as the Dylan Christmas album. Have you listened to that? Oh. Was this Christmas? Dylan does Christmas? I never did Dylan the Christmas. Oh, Dylan released a Christmas album just because he's Dylan. It, it was in the 80s? Because I can't... Like some of that Joker Man stuff... Four or five years out. ago. What? Really? <laughs> yeah. He released a Christmas album. I'm going to download it. Um, I'm going to find... Because uh, some of them are like... Does he do Mariah Carey's version? Of- <laughs> no, he doesn't. No, that was last, last Christmas with Wham. Does he? No, it doesn't happen. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Fuck, I would be so good if he did last Christmas. But George Michael. Um, uh, so let me see which one is... Just for because it's um, the time of year is. Have yourself. Oh boy! A merry oh boy! <laughs> Let your heart be light. That's class. I love it. Next year, all yeah, that's definitely in the last few years. Yeah. <laughs> that's now that's what we talk about going full cycle. That's Bob Dylan doing a Tom Waits impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking, <laughs> <coughs> you're not far off her. That's uh, fucking, that's yeah. incredible. That's Christmas in the heart. Um, it does uh, like a couple of Carol come all you faithful and stuff like it's. Fucking <laughs> I've put them on a few Christmas uh, playlists over the years and every so just to see the reaction it never fails that every time a Dylan Christmas song goes on goes who the fuck's that that's Bob Dylan (laughs) turn that off the fuck that doesn't sound like Bob Dylan Bob Dylan doesn't even sound like Bob Dylan Bob Dylan doesn't sound like Bob Dylan Um, so that is what I love about Dylan he can just do whatever the fuck he wants he just can decide yeah yeah I'm going to release a Christmas album just because I can Um, well well, I mean he's but he's still touring yeah, he still tours. He still touring. Um, he's actually he's on my uh, music bucket list. There's very few left on my list that I haven't seen live, and he's one of them. Um, but I just have been afraid to go. Just I've genuinely been afraid to go in case it's been in case he plays electric and you freak out. Because <laughs> he's got electric. And go, you're you're nothing but a bastard the whole second half. <laughs> Remember somebody in that concert shouted it as well. Um, what about Woody Bob? <laughs> Reference and what, what would Woody, Woody Guthrie think? <laughs> oh, there's a really good story about him. Go, when he originally went to New York, he was going to New York to find Woody Guthrie. Right. And ask him, who are you? <laughs> How did you get to be this person? Because there's very little out about people in the you know early 60s, or late 50s, early 60s. Of course, about, yeah. People would just get the album and go, what is this? Mm-hmm. It'd be like your whole world just turned upside down. Yeah. And you, there wouldn't be liner notes with <laughs> Woody, Woody was born in the shed, New Hampshire. <laughs> he, he went to New York to find him and he found him in a mental hospital. Woody right. Guthrie was fucking gone. Like, is that right? Mentally, he was gone. He, he remembered how to play guitar, but he didn't know any of his lyrics. Jesus. He had no idea. So he only started to calm down when Bob Dylan started playing Woody Guthrie's songs back to him. 
Holy fuck. So you imagine seeing that? Mm-hmm. Young Bob Dylan fucking playing, playing Woody Guthrie songs. Two, two Woody, Woody Guthrie. Jesus. And having a mental hospital, having a fucking clue how influential he actually was. You know, there's no fucking Bob Dylan. There's not even a Rage Against the Machine with Woody Guthrie. Like. Yeah, oh, I mean, the, the musical ripples mm-hmm. comes right from one person. Um, yeah, unbelievable. Holy Jesus, there's a good answer. I never knew that one now. Mm-hmm. Every day, boys, every day. Every single fucking day. <laughs> uh, so the album finishes off with uh, Buckets of Rain. Mighty song. Mighty song. But again, total fucking heartbreaker. Like. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's, this album in general, you know, don't be, don't be playing this after you listen to the podcast on the Monday morning. You know what I mean? Just no, but wait till the least time. Try to, if you can, I know it's going to be really hard if you've listened to this and then listened to the album for the first time, but try to not listen to the lyrics the first time you, you hear it. Try to just go along with it. Yeah, because just get the The sense. first time I heard it, like I said, I didn't expect what subsequently has become my overbearing emotion about it, and it is, it is. Well, sometimes it can be hard to listen to if... Well, tell me this. Here's a good... I always have this. Uh, I have a number, but I'll ask you, do you have a number? What is the number of... T- and anybody listening, you can. Uh, you should have a number too. So what is the number of times that you'll listen to an album before you'll say yay or nay? Hmm... That's difficult to answer because, well, from start to finish. Here's one. If the album's shite, it's one. If the album's really good, it's one. One time. And I know. Mm. And that's, the, the in-betweens are the ones where you're going. I have Hi. I have the three. You got to go three, follow goes? To give it a proper, either that's shite or that's good. All right. Because I think... A lot of times it can be the context of where you're listening to and on fucking mood you're in and blah blah blah. You know, sometimes you're not giving it the fault or you're drifting off, you're not paying attention. So, so but after the third time, if I'm thinking, right, this hasn't caught me yet, that's gone. Um and it's quite often <laughs> that happens. Mm. But uh I've never had it with a Dylan album to go to the you know, the fall three. No, I've, I've always went, Jesus, what's that? You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. always something that grabs yeah. you. There might be a lot of bump in there, and sometimes in the later albums there has been. The 80s stuff. Yeah, it is. But then you've got, like, um, you got to serve somebody. Joker Man? You know, down in the middle of the... You know, it's fucking, there's some fucking absolute mint mm-hmm. gems in there. Like, but uh, Yeah, so if you've listened to this and uh, you're not a Bob Dylan fan, um, give, him a, give him a bit of grace. Uh, it's, it's, it'll be more rewarding than... It'll be as rewarding as when you listen, if you did listen to Mood Variations for the first time after we recommended it, yeah. this one is as rewarding, but you'll definitely hear uh, where Tom Waits has taken a lot of his influence from. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. a lot of your favourite artists, if you've listened to an artist ever play an acoustic song, pretty sure a lot of their vocal cadences and how they play the guitar is... Absolutely. And anybody learning to play guitar is somewhere online going to learn about Dylan's song. It's yeah. usually somewhere in the mix uh, yeah. or whatever. Um, so yeah, thanks very much um, for listening. We hope you're gonna in, uh, indulge in a bit of Bobby D. Um, start from the start, as we say, with uh, Blood and the Tracks. But then do go back and check out his earlier albums if you've not do listened go back before. Blonde on Blonde and fucking Highway Sixty One and yeah. Freewheeling or masterpieces like so. And again, like I said at the start of the podcast, we might uh, at some point, maybe in the future, come back to Bobby D. Um, there are a lot of, uh, as you say, a lot of options to go to. There's a lot of options. And yeah, so thank you very much for listening. We um, we will be back next week, moving on to uh, something other than music, which will be hard to do because we talked about this. TV is a fucking killer for TV's us. TV's a nightmare. Because we want fucking to do TV. Nightmare. 
we have to go and rewatch maybe fucking five seasons or something. Yeah, and, and everybody goes, fuck, somebody said to me, you actually researched this, and you're like, you have to, there's no way, man, we're going to go, <laughs> remember in season one, episode four, where <laughs> he falls over? Because we can do that for an hour if you want. Yeah, we can But it's not going to be interesting no. at all. Is it fuck? Um, so yeah, we know we do. We have to try and we have to rewatch it to at least be fresh in our mind, and we still forget stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> rewatch all Sopranos and then forget about fucking half of it. But mm-hmm. uh, no, so TV might be, might be messed out. We might be, uh, uh, we might call upon a guest. Uh, we might, we don't know. Well, the joy of a podcast, we can do whatever the fentanyl we want. Pod flapping across the USA. Pod flaps. So uh, on that uh, beautiful uh, Dylan harmonies there. Pod flaps. Maybe. We're both uh, holding one ear here, going. <laughs> we're, we're both looking like Bob Dylan looked in the <laughs> in the Libyan. Feed the world, or what, was what, it Libyan? No, it's not Libyan. What? It's American one. What do you call it? Um, we are the world. Oh, yeah. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, and we talked about this, but we we sort of uh, you might have thought we were a bit harsh on Bob in the middle of the podcast when we said Bob's an awkward cunt. Um, go and take a look at the We Are The World video, which this was basically, um, you, there's no point playing the audio because you just have to see it. You know, you have to see it. It was basically America's version of Live Aid, where it was a song they got together to uh, to raise money. Michael Jackson was leading it and uh, the Who's Who were there. But basically, Bob Dylan's face has become a meme actually recent, more recent years. Bob Dylan's face and We Are The World is... Uh, is what most of our faces look like on a Monday morning. And and he knows he's being filmed. Yeah. And he knows there's other people there that are <laughs> fucking up for this proper. We are, oh, oh. And he's just. <laughs> that's what made me remember was the one hand. Am I fucking here? The one finger to the ear, all the rest. These ones trying to get in tune and giving it all. I'm just fucking, I don't want to be here. And he's not even fucking singing the words. He's just, the lips are moving, that's it. So yes, we are the world. Check that out. Uh, Bobby D just being the rebel that he always will be. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just seeing the video over there. It's just it's so good. You so have to look it up. You have to go and take a look at that. But yes, and then after you do that, go and listen to Blood on the Tracks. We will return next week, as we say. And thank you very much for everybody who's been listening and any new listeners. Uh, thank you for tuning in. You can go back and listen to any episode at all. It uh, has no relevance in regards to time. Um, you can listen to any of them out of context, so there's no mm. uh, time, and it's the joy of this. You can hit them any time you want. Yeah, it? man. And fuck knows what segues we go off in, but the joy is we always come back to our topic. So, yeah. Um, and don't forget, if you're going to split up with a woman over a fireplace, write a wee album after. Stick a wee it album out. You never know. And uh, could be shit. Maybe <laughs> not. <laughs> call the album Grand Fireplace. De- call the album Grand Designs. <laughs> Call the album, just agree with her, and let her have whatever fucking fireplace she wants. Well, when I say grand designs, I mean, whenever she says, what do you think of that design? Just go, ah, it's grand. Grand. <laughs> it's grand. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Bye. Or hear you next week. Bye. Or we'll be in your ears next week. Bye. Wallen them. Bye. <laughs>